In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, we will study chapter 17 from the Gospel of Saint Matthew. This chapter is one of the very important chapters in the scripture because in the chapter we learn about the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ and the significance of this event. Also, we learn about the power of prayer and fasting, the power of faith, especially in doing miracles. And also, in this chapter, the Lord identified to us who is the prophetic Elijah. I mean the prophetic Elijah, Elijah who came to prepare the way of the Lord, John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. Also, in this chapter, we learn about the prediction of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the second time the Lord notifies his disciples about his passion, his death, and his resurrection. And the chapter is concluded by the Lord Jesus Christ paying the temple tax. So let's start from verse 1, reading verse by verse, and we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us to understand this chapter. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. After six days, from what? If we go to the previous chapter, we know that there was a dialogue or conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. This dialogue started by the Lord asking them, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they answered and said, Some said you are Elijah, some said you are Jeremiah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. So he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter told him, you are the son of uh, God, you are Christ, the son of God. And the Lord declared to Peter that this is a divine revelation. He did not know this from human being, but from heaven, from God the Father. And then the Lord spoke to them about that he will be delivered to the hand of the Gentiles and they will crucify him. Then Peter could not accept this. And he said to the Lord, far be it from you. And the Lord knew that it was not Peter who said this, but the devil spoke on the mouth of Peter. So he rebuked the devil who spoke on the mouth of Peter by saying, Get behind me, Satan. And the word Satan was not directed to Peter, but was directed to the demon who spoke on the mouth of Peter. Then after six days, from this conversation, from this event, the Lord took Peter, James, and John on a high mountain where he transfigured before them. But in the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 9, St. Luke says about uh, on the eighth day or eight day after. So is it six days or eight days? Both of them are correct. 
Matthew counted the six days that are in between the two events, the day of conversation and the day of transfiguration. For example, if the, trans- the conversation happened last Sunday and the transfiguration is tomorrow, so between last Sunday and tomorrow, the days in between we have six days. But if we included these two days, will be on the eighth day. But why the divine inspiration made Matthew mention six days and Luke mention eight days? As we will know, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke with Moses and Elijah about his death and his resurrection. And the Lord died on the sixth day and in the sixth hour. And if he, rose, if he died on the sixth day, Friday, then the day of resurrection will be the eighth day. So, it's the day of the week, not it's the day from his death. So these two numbers, six days as mentioned in Matthew, and eight days as mentioned in Luke, actually make a connection between transfiguration and what? Transfiguration and his death and his resurrection. And by the way, the first Sunday, uh, first Saturday, the first Saturday of the Holy 50 days, the reading of the Gospel is about transfiguration. The first Saturday of the Holy 50 days after the resurrection feast, the reading of the Gospel is about transfiguration. Because transfiguration is very, very uh, related and connected with the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why St. Luke, he did not say after eight days. He said about eight days after. About because he included the two days, the day of conversation and the day of transfiguration. The Lord used to take these three disciples, John, James, and Peter, in special events. Like when he raised the daughter of Jairus. Like in Gethsemane, also in transfiguration. So, these three disciples will see the agony of Christ in Gethsemane. That's why he wanted to prepare them to that moment, lest they doubt the divinity of Christ. That's why he took these three disciples to manifest his glory in front of them. So this manifestation and this revelation will support them when they watch his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and also when they see him on the cross. He took them to a high mountain. This mountain is mountain Tabor, which is 12 miles from the Sea of Galilee and 8 miles from Nazareth. Uh, some scholars say, no, it's not Mount of Tabor, but it's Mount of Harmon. But this is not true. All the tradition and even the liturgical tradition like the hymns of the church mention that he was transfigured on mountain Tabor. This mountain was a high mountain about 10,000 feet high. And as I told you, from the 4th century, the people who went to Jerusalem for pilgrimage they celebrated the site of transfiguration as Mount Tabor. Verse 2, And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes 
became as white as the light. After the Lord spoke to them six days before about his crucifixion and about his death and his burial, actually the disciples were frightened and discouraged by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he wants to support them and to give them a vision to grasp his glory, to see his glory. So this vision will support them when they see the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And also uh, to confirm to them that he is the son of God, as Peter told him, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word transfigure doesn't mean that his substance changed, but means that his appearance and his form changed. His shape did not alter, but his shape and his appearance received more glory. As if the divine glory, which is his, because Jesus is the Son of God from eternity. So part of this divine glory, a glimpse from the divine glory, showed itself in a visible manner through his flesh. Uh, St. Paul said that the fullness of Godhead dwelt bodily in, in Jesus Christ. But the Lord all the time he kept the glory of the Godhead unrevealed. He walked among people like just a regular human being. But now, on the Mount of the Transfiguration, he allowed part of his glory to shine, to be manifested before the disciples, to confirm the confession of Peter that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. His face was shining like the sun. The same description that we read it in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 16, when God appeared to St. John, the theologian, actually, he saw his face shining like the sun. And also, we see that this glory altered the appearance of his clothes. And again, the appearance of the clothes, not the substance of the clothes or the nature of the clothes. But the rays of his glory actually went through his clothes and made them as bright and as shining like the, the sun rays. St. Mark described the clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ on Mount Transfiguration they are exceedingly white like snow, like the snow. Verse 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. About what they were talking, Moses and Elijah? Actually, in, in the Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 9, St. Luke told us that Moses and Elijah appeared also in glory. So not only Jesus appeared in glory, but Moses and Elijah. To tell us that also we will be glorified in eternal life like Christ. These bodies, when we are risen, then actually we will be risen in glorified bodies. And they were talking with the Lord Jesus Christ about what? About his exodus 
that he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Meaning what? His excess or his decease means his departure, his death, his burial, and his resurrection that he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. So, here we have the Lord Jesus Christ standing between two of the greatest character of the Old Testament. The founder of the law, Moses, and Elijah, this prophet full of zeal. So, we have two prophets from the Old Testament, and also we have the founder of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the conversation between the three of them is about the most important matter of heaven and earth, which is the death of our Savior. Nothing is more important to heaven and earth more than the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That's why Moses Elijah were speaking with the Lord Jesus Christ about his death that he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. And I'm sure they were sharing the prophecies that were written in the scripture in order to confirm the faith of the three disciples, James, John, and Peter. And here we can see, or we can say that the three disciples, or the three apostles, witnessed the coming together of the Old and New Covenant. Old Covenant, Moses and Elijah, and the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here actually, we can see the Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end of the divine revelation. The end, I mean, the, the, the conclusion of everything. All the scripture, all the divine revelation, revelation pointed out to the Lord Jesus Christ. The old covenant was represented by Moses and Elijah. Moses, as I told you, is the founder of the Old Testament law. And Elijah represented all the prophets. And the new covenant was represented by the three apostles, Peter, James, and John. The new Israel, the church of the New Testament. Why Moses and Elijah? One of the false accusations about the Lord Jesus Christ that he transgressed the law. So do you think that Moses, the founder of the law, would appear and with the Lord Jesus Christ if the Lord Jesus Christ indeed transgressed the law? What about Elijah? Elijah, the very zealous prophet. Do you think that Elijah would appear with Jesus if Jesus said, I am the Son of God, and he was not? <coughs> That's why St. John Chrysostom said, the Jews had accused Christ of blasphemy and of breaking the Sabbath. The presence of Moses and Elijah disapproved the lies for the founder of the Jewish law would never have sanctioned him who was a transgressor of these laws and Elijah so full of zeal for the glory of God would never have paid homage to one who made himself equal to God had he not really been the son of the Mustahat so the appearance of Moses and Elijah confirmed the falsehood of the accusation of the Jews. Elijah did not die 
So he came from heaven in the same body which he had upon earth because he did not die. Some of the scholars said that Moses was probably raised again, but the church does not believe in this because nobody will be raised except in the second coming of Christ. So Moses appeared in his spirit, but his spirit took the form of a human being familiar to the eyes of the disciples in order to know and recognize him as Moses. But there was no any resurrection for anybody before the second coming of Christ. These scholars based their interpretation you know during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ his death and his resurrection they say many of the departed people rose and appeared to people in Jerusalem so they did not say that he raised he was raised in the glorified body but he raised like God raised uh, Lazarus from the death the daughter of Jairus so he, he was raised temporarily to appear and then he died again. But again, the, the, the scripture did not mention this. That's why our Coptic Church and the Coptic Fathers believe that this appearance was in the spirit for Moses, but he took the form of a human being in order for the disciples to recognize him as Moses. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that in the second coming of Christ some people would be alive at this moment. As St. Paul said, we shall not all die, but all shall be changed. So some people during the second coming of Christ they will be changed. Those who remain alive to the second coming they will be changed. And we say that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Living and dead can be interpreted as spiritually living and spiritually dead, the sinners and the righteous, or can be understood those who will remain alive to the second coming of Christ and those who died before the second coming of Christ. So here, when Moses and Elijah appears with Jesus, Moses represented the dead and Elijah represented the living. So both of them appeared with Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 4, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. St. Luke in his Gospel, chapter 9, he said about Peter, not knowing what he said. Also St. Mark said, about Peter, for he did not he did not know what to say. Definitely the surprise of the transfiguration and all this scene made Peter did not know what to say. But actually Peter when he said let us make three tabernacles he made many mistakes. That's why Mark and Luke said he did not know what he was saying. The first mistake, as if this scene of transfiguration will remain and will continue. But the purpose of transfiguration is not to continue, 
but just to give support to the disciples when they see the Lord Jesus Christ later on in Gethsemane and on the cross, so to support them during this difficult time. Also by saying, let's make three tabernacles, he made Moses and Elijah equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord is the Lord, is the God of Moses and Elijah. So he cannot put all of them equal. Also by seeing three tabernacles, actually each of them will have a separate tabernacle. Actually, after that, one cloud, not three clouds, one cloud overshadowed them. So, by seeing three tabernacles, he is proposing earthy tabernacles for glorified people. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared in glory and Moses and Elijah also appeared in glory. So, how can you, you, you let these glorified people to dwell in earthly tabernacle. These people will have a house not made with hands eternal in heaven. And also Moses as a representative of the law and Elijah as a representative of the prophets are not considered to be distinct from the Lord Jesus Christ and separate from him. But they are agreeing with him. He fulfilled the law of Moses and he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. So they are the law and the prophet fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why to say, let's put them in three separate tabernacles as if he is separating the law from the prophet, from the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not distinct to him, but all of them should hear him and listen to him. That's why the heaven corrected what Peter said. As we read in verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud, not earthly tabernacle, but bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly, a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear him. A cloud is frequently in the Old Testament represent the presence of God. Uh, so when the three apostles saw this bright cloud, they know that it is the presence of God. It's a simple a symbol of the divine presence. And they heard the voice of the Father. The same voice that John the Baptist heard it at the river Jordan. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. This is my beloved son is confirmation of the confession of St. Peter that he said it six days before. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to him or hear him is a rebuke to Peter because Peter refused to accept the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Satan spoke on the mouth of Peter and said, Far be it from you, O Lord. So the Father is saying, Hear him, listen to him. Whatever the Lord says will be fulfilled. Peter never forgot this scene. Actually, when he wrote his second epistle, St. Peter remembered this night the night of transfiguration as we read in second peter chapter 1 verse 17 for he jesus received from god the father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory peter 
in, in his second letter, chapter 1, verse 17, was referring to the event of transfiguration. Also, when the Lord said, hear him, these are the same words that written about the prophet. You know, Moses said to the children of Israel, God will raise a prophet from among you, prophet with capital P, from among you. And any soul that will not listen to this prophet will be killed. So it is a confirmation also of this prophecy. It is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 to 19. And why we call Jesus the prophet? Because he told us about the Father. Nobody has seen the Father, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father revealed him to us. Also in Hebrew chapter 1, we read about the prophetic ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. When St. Peter, St. Paul said, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, but in the latter days he spoke to us through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, And when the disciples heard it, when they heard the voice of the Father, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. They were fearful at the presence of God. That's why they fell on their faces in adoration and reverence to God. But their fear was removed by the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ as we read in verse 7 but Jesus came and touched them and said arise and do not be afraid arise and do not be afraid so every time the Lord speaks to any person he removes the fear from his heart like after his resurrection when he appeared to the disciples in the upper room they were afraid but once he told them peace be with you no this fear was taken away then verse 8 when they had lifted up their eyes they saw no one but Jesus only when they rose up from their prostration and kneeling down the glorious vision was gone they did not see the clouds they did not see Moses or Elijah and even the Lord Jesus Christ all this glory disappeared so the purpose of the transfiguration was to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah is the Christ and also that Jesus is greater than the greatest of the prophets. He is greater than Moses and Elijah. He is indeed the Son of God as the Father testified about him. Verse 9 Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Why? Because it was not necessarily to share this vision with anybody. After his crucifixion, this will be the right time to share the transfiguration with others, to prove to them that Jesus, the crucified Jesus, is the Son of God. If uh, they say it before this maybe this will provoke the Jews and endanger the life of our Lord Jesus Christ that's why wisdom divine wisdom uh, commanded them not to share it with anybody why the Lord took three disciples because according to the law 
any testimony has to be believed if there are two or three. So the Lord, in order to fulfill the law and the requirement of the law, He took three disciples in order to be witnesses. So their witness and their testimony will be true. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 6 and in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 28. So he told them, my time was not, was not yet come, so don't share it with anybody. Also, as if he is telling them, don't expose such event, such wonderful event, to the rash criticism of the envious Pharisees. Because they will falsely speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, and also they will try to attack this event. And the Lord here is teaching all of us a lesson that we need actually to observe secrecy when it comes to spiritual graces and favor. To know when to share it and with whom we should share it. As he told us, don't put your pearls to the swine, lest they uh, trample upon them with their feet and then they uh, devour you. Verse 10, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Definitely seeing Elijah made them think about all the prophecies about Elijah. So, there was a tradition that Elijah will come before the Messiah. And this tradition was confirmed by prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and verse 6. Uh, that's why after seeing Elijah, they asked the Lord Jesus Christ about this prophecy and about this tradition about the coming of Elijah before the Messiah. So the Lord answered, Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. So the Lord confirmed the prophecy that Elijah will come first before the second coming of the Messiah and will restore all things. Verse 12 but I say to you that Elijah has come already. Now, he's speaking about the prophetic Elijah, not the real Elijah, about John the Baptist. And they did not know him. You remember in the Annunciation of Archangel Gabriel to Zechariah, he said about John the Baptist, he will come in the spirit of Elijah. The same zeal. And there are many similarities between John the Baptist and Elijah. Both of them were celibate. Both of them were zealous. Both of them prepared the way before Christ. John the Baptist before the first coming, Elijah before the second coming. Both of them confronted kings. So there are a lot of similarities between Elijah and John the Baptist. They did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. So, here actually, when the Lord said Elijah has already come, he was referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we call him the forerunner. Forerunner means the one who is running before Jesus to pave the the way for Jesus, to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. By saying they did not know him because the Jews did not acknowledge John the Baptist and did not receive him as the forerunner of the Messiah. And as John was the forerunner before the first coming, 
Elijah will be the forerunner before the second coming. In the prophecy in Malachi, we read, I will send to you Elijah the Tishbite. Why he mentioned the Tishbite? To distinguish the true Elijah from John the Baptist. So, yes, in the second coming, Elijah the Tishbite will come to prepare the way for the second coming. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ is confirming the literal sense of the prophecy in Malachi. And when the Lord actually spoke about how the Jews did to John the Baptist as they wished by killing him when Herod killed him, he said, likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. So now the Lord is reminding them for the second time about his passion and his suffering. St. John Chrysostom says, Jesus in a most beautiful manner takes advantage of this conversation to remind them of his future passion and from the recollection of the sufferings of John affords them comfort in his own suffering. So, when he spoke about the suffering of John the Baptist and about his own suffering, which was actually the subject of conversation on the mountain between Jesus and Moses and Elijah during the, the transfiguration, the disciples clearly understood that he is speaking about John the Baptist, not the true Elijah. As we read in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Verse 14, and when they had come to the multitude, they descended from the mountain and went to the multitude. A man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, St. Peter wanted to remain on the mountain, maybe for his own gratification. He forgot about the multitude at the bottom of the mountain. He was happy to see this clear vision, this beautiful vision, wonderful vision. So he said, let us, it's good to be here. And he forgot about the people. But the scholar Origen said, True charity seeks not its own advantage only. What therefore appeared good to St. Peter did not appear so to Christ, who descended from the mountain as from his highest throne in heaven to visit man to come and to heal us from our infirmities and from our weaknesses. And once he descended, this man came to him. And this man addressed the Lord Jesus Christ with great honor and respect, not only by his gesture, by kneeling down to him, but also by his words, because he was asking compassion, mercy, pity, from the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. So the symptoms are symptoms of epilepsy. But in this case, this illness was caused by demonic possession. His son was a child, as we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 38. And also this child was mute, as well as epileptic, as we read in Mark chapter 9, 
and verse 18. So, he made like a complaint here. Not a complaint of anger against the disciples, but he wanted mercy. He wanted his son to be healed. Verse 17, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Then he looked to the, to the father and told him, Bring him here to me. Maybe these words sound like anger. But Saint Jerome, he said, We must not imagine that our Savior, who was meek, uttered on this occasion words of anger and intemperance. But like a tender physician, observing his patient totally disregarding his prescriptions. He says, How long shall I visit you? How long shall I order one thing and you do the contrary? Thus, Jesus is not angry with the man, but with the vices of the man. If he's angry, he's angry with our sins. And in him, he upbraids the Jews in general for their incredulity and perversity. When he said faceless and perverse generation, he was di di directed this to all the Jews who did not believe in him. So the general sentiment is that these reproaches are limited to the people, to all the people, not to the disciples, the twelve disciples. But some of the scholars extend this rebuke also to the disciples, included the disciples in the rebuke. And the word rebuke means there is reproving and commanding. He reproved them for uh, having afflicted the child, because if they have faith, they would heal him. But he commanded the child to be brought to him in order to heal him. Then verse 18, And Jesus rebuked the demon, By rebuking the demon here, he rebuked the demon for afflicting the child and commanding the demon to depart from the child. He rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. So rebuking here was directed to the demon for afflicting the child who was created in God's image and also to command the demon to depart from him. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? The disciples, they want to learn why they failed to perform a miracle and to cast out this demon and to heal the child. So they came secretly to the Lord Jesus Christ, asked him about this. Verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He told them, you failed to cast out the demon because of the lack of your faith. And he used the symbol of the mustard seed because the mustard seed known as of its hot 
and active qualities. So, the living faith, the perfect living faith, is like the mustard seed in its properties and its fruits. It is active, full of zeal, full of confidence. By the word faith here, the Lord did not mean creed. Because they know that he is the son of the living God. The word faith in the scripture has more than one meaning. One meaning is what do you believe? For example, you believe that Jesus is the son of God. He was incarnated from St. Mary and the Holy Spirit. He died. He was buried. On the third day he rose from the dead. That's what we say creed. But faith also has another meaning which means your confidence. When say, I believe in God, I am confident that He can do this. Many people, they have the right creed, but they are lacking the confidence. So the disciples in this situation, they were not lacking in the theological understanding of who Christ is. They knew he is the son of God as Peter told him. But they were lacking in their confidence in God. They were lacking that God can actually, the confidence that God can, can cure this child from his epilepsy and cast out the demon. To have a true faith of this kind, free from all doubt actually is a great and high privilege faith can begin small like mustard seed and when we nourish this faith by the grace of God and through fasting and prayer it can grow and be powerful enough to move mountains When the Lord said moving a mountain, definitely this an act of God, not a human work. But a great faith can be rewarded by God in making something impossible like a mountain, a moving mountain to happen. And all of you know the story of mountain Mu'attam and how it was moved from its place by prayer and fasting and of course by the faith of the people on top of them since Simon the Tanner. So, in order to work miracles and in order to cast out demons, faith is required, confidence in God is required. And as I told you, faith will, be grow, will, will grow through the grace of God and by prayer and fasting. That's why in verse 21, he said, However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So, if we want to move mountains of sin, envy, pride, greed, materialism, unforgiving spirit, revengeful spirit, all these can be cast out by prayer, fasting, and faith. Because all these sins are by Satan. And Satan makes these sins like huge mountain inside our hearts. But by faith, prayer, and fasting, these mountains can be moved. Verse 22, Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. 
first time six days ago when the Lord told them about his resurrection and crucifixion they did not accept it but now actually they accepted but their reaction they became greatly sorrowful so while they were in Galilee the Lord for the second time mentioned to them about his passion, his suffering, death and resurrection and the disciples were overwhelmed with grief maybe they understood that he will die but they did not sufficiently comprehend the how many days he will be in the grave and the meaning of his resurrection and the immeasurable benefit of his death and resurrection that will happen to the world our salvation and redemption all these were not revealed to them but the Lord Jesus Christ definitely he knew what will happen to to him so it was not surprise to him that he will be handed to the hand of the uh, Gentiles and to be crucified he came and he knew what would happen to him he knew that the work of redemption will require him to suffer and to die and this actually reveals to us how much he loved us verse 24 when they had come to Capernaum those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said does your teacher not pay the temple tax he said yes and when he had come into the house Jesus anticipated him saying what do you think Simon from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers now they returned from their journey uh, and the people who are collecting the temple tax came to Peter according to some scholars this tax was laid on every person who is 20 years of age and above for the service of the temple but other scholars said no this was a tribute paid to the Romans so the Jews collected this money from the people and paid to the Romans because the Lord Jesus Christ hinted by saying the kings of the earth so as if the Lord said the Jews should not collect this money from us and pay it to the the Romans because that is their land the Romans are occupying them and they should not take taxes from the the people who own the land the owners of the land but Peter instead of explaining this to the tax collectors people who are collecting the temple tax but as usual he answered and he said yes he did not pay the temple tax quickly before he reflected on the question then he came to the Lord Jesus Christ with this matter but before he speaks to the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord actually knew his thoughts and he spoke first and the Lord told him actually we are not subject to tax we should not pay any taxes as if he is saying to Peter your response should be like this that they should not take taxes from the children but they should collect taxes from the foreigners as, as, as we read in verse 25 what do you think Simon from whom 
do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. So Peter knew the right answer. So as if the Lord is telling him, if you know the right answer, why you did not answer them? Then Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. The sons are free, then we should not pay the taxes. But why the Lord decided to pay the taxes? Not because he was subject to the law of taxes, but in order not to offend them. In order actually to consult the infirmity of the people. They think that we should pay tax. Let us pay the tax, lest be offended. And they, they think that I'm despising the temple. I don't want to pay the taxes of the temple. And thus we are offending them. So, lest they should think that we despise the temple and its service, and this provoke needless opposition, although we are not under obligation to pay the taxes, yet let us pay it to them. As we read in verse 27, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Peter was a fisherman, so the Lord told him, Go and catch a fish. But it is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ would draw this fish that had swallowed the coin to the hook of Peter. So it is not the cleverness of Peter, but it is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that drew this particular fish that swallowed the coin to the hook of Peter and they pay taxes. And this lesson actually is a lesson to all of us how a citizen we should be honest and faithful and with integrity. So if we are required to pay taxes and customs, then we, should, we are under obligation to do this. The Lord Jesus Christ as honest citizen, as a faithful citizen, he followed the law although he was not under the law. But lest, as he said, lest we offend them. This concludes chapter 17 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Anybody has question about this chapter or comment? Yes, Fadali. Can we assume that the form in which Moses appeared is similar to the four uh, saints nowadays appearing? Yes, yes. Like Al-Adran al-Tazhar and Mary Gergis and So when Moses appeared, it's like the saints when they appear right now. Yes. Uh, is it similar to Saint Mary? Yes. Yeah, they are similar the same, same way. I, I don't think that Moses rose from the dead and appeared. Yani, all the Coptic fathers did not follow this. And what about Elijah? Where is he now? It is not revealed to us where is he. There are some speculation, but there is no revelation in the scripture about where is, where is he. It is mentioned that he was caught up, but where we don't know. Thank you. Nabi. When uh, our Lord Jesus Christ transfigured and Moses and Elijah appeared, the disciples, Peter, John, and James, must have been filled with the Holy Spirit because they recognized who Elijah and Moses are. Here are two characters 2,000 years ago or prophets. That so here we have Peter who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the first thing that he says is a mistake that needs to be corrected. So do we say the Holy Spirit left them at that moment? or 
I think we need to be accurate with using the word filled with the Holy Spirit because the Bible did not say this. But maybe they were guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, or actually maybe, uh, يعني, like right now, when people see one of the saints, this is St. Damiana, this is St. Mary, this is St. George, this is St. Uh, Tedros. Although we never saw them, but they appear in a way that make them familiar to us. Maybe Moses appeared with the two uh, tablets in his hand. Maybe he appeared in a way to tell them that I am Moses. Maybe in the dialogue or, or in the conversation between them, Moses called Elijah by his name and Elijah called Moses by his name, you know, and, and that's why he, he, he knew that these are Moses and Elijah. So we cannot say the, uh, the three disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit like Elizabeth when she was filled with the we can Because the Bible did not say this. I have a, any more uh, questions? Okay. I have a question here. When our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he descended to Hades and Save down Father Adam and those who died on the hope. How did Elijah and Moses then appeared with glorified bodies? How did they, Moses, uh, flee or escape Hades? Actually, God has authority over Satan. He is God of heaven and earth. There's a difference between saving Moses eternally and bringing him from uh, Hades in order to appear on the mountain in a glorified way and then he returns back to Hades. The same the Lord did with Samuel when Saul uh, wanted to ask Samuel about whether he should go to the war or not. Actually, God allowed Samuel to come from Hades and appear to uh, King Saul and talk to him. God is God and he has authority over heaven and earth. You may tell me if he is God then why he did not actually uh, transfer Moses and all people in Hades uh, to the paradise of joy. Because God is perfect in all his attributes. So the divine justice has to be fulfilled. So it is not because Satan would refuse if God wants to deliver all the people from Hades and, 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 and God cannot do this. But actually it's because of God has to fulfill the divine justice and his word when he said to Adam, you shall surely die. This word has to be fulfilled in order for salvation to happen. But God is the Lord of heaven and earth. With one word, he rebuked the demon. So if he ordered Moses to come from Hades for this mission and go back, definitely he can do this. Any more questions? Glory be to God forever. Amen.